Thank you for joining us for today's Practical Living broadcast, and I pray that through this message that you will learn how to apply God's Word and truths to any situation in your life. Stay with us as we discover God's truths that will transform us. Would you join me in welcoming our Frederick campus this morning? Good morning to all the folks in Frederick. Welcome to church. Glad that you're here today. And uh, if you're wanting to take notes, you'll find an abbreviated form of our notes on the back of your bulletin today. You can also go to our church app, uh, MyCOR app, and get the full version of our notes as we continue our series together entitled, What to Do When. We're talking about what to do in various scenarios and circumstances of life. And for our study uh, in this particular topic, we're looking at the life of a man by the name of Jonah. We learned lots of things about what to do when through Jonah's life because he faced a variety of circumstances and he responded sometimes the right way, often the wrong way. And we learn from both his good example and his bad example. But today I want to talk about something that I think is pretty apropos to actually where we are today. And the title of today's message is What to Do When Storms Come. What to do when storms come your way in life. Now, to understand the book of Jonah, it lays out for us in chapter 1 the sequence of things that we're most familiar with. Most of you will know the story of Jonah uh, being cast off a ship and being swallowed by a great fish. I want to read for you a portion of that story today. Again, in Jonah chapter 1 will be our text beginning in verse number 1 as we look at this story together. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. Such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble for us. What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Here we see the story of Jonah being called to go to a particular place that I will describe for you here in just a moment, and his refusal to do what God had asked him to do, and he finds himself in the midst of this terrible storm. Not only is he in the storm, the entire boat that he's on is facing this, uh, this calamity, this potential calamity, and so now we see what happens. They're asking who's responsible for this, because they felt like somebody on this ship was responsible for the trouble, and they cast lots, and of course, as we see here, the lot fell to Jonah, and now take a look at what happens in response to this. The Bible says that Jonah says to them, pick me up, throw me into the sea. He replied, it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. And then we see the description of what happened. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Let's lay out what's going on here in this story. To do so, I'm going to take you back to the map that we've been using as a part of this series. 
It helps you to understand what's really going on here in the story. Jonah was a prophet to the ten tribes of Israel. There are two southern tribes, ten northern tribes, and Jonah is the prophet to the north. Jonah is a prophet during the time of a king by the name of Jeroboam II. It's about 750 B.C., 750 years before Jesus was born. It's a time when Israel, these ten tribes, were prospering very greatly. Good things were happening. But there was an ominous threat over Israel, over these ten tribes. And the threat was the growing power of a country by the name of Assyria. Assyria was one of the great world powers. In fact, if you study world history, you'll know that Assyria rose as a great world power, followed then, of course, by the kingdom of Babylonia, Nebuchadnezzar, Babylonian kingdom, and then followed by the world power of the Medes and the Persians, and then the, Ro- the Greeks come on the scene with Alexander the Great, and then, of course, the Romans come on the scene after that, a sequence of world powers. And so Israel is under the threat, the ominous threat, even though they're prospering, of Assyria They could attack at any point in time. They're taking people captive. They're expanding their territory. The capital city of Assyria is the city of Nineveh. God gives a message to Jonah. I want you to go and preach to the Ninevites, the capital city of Assyria. Go and preach to them and call them to repentance. Call them to change their ways. And Jonah says, I don't want to do that. I don't want to go there. And the reason that Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh and preach was because he did not want the Ninevites, the Assyrians, to repent. Because he knew that if they repented, God would be merciful to them and would lift the judgment from them. And so here you see Jonah's resistance to preach because he did not want God to bless the Assyrians once they turned back to him. He wanted them to be destroyed. And so he says, I'm not going there. I'm not going to do what you're asking me to do, God. I don't want to preach to this group of people because as soon as I do and they start showing signs of repentance, you're just going to be nice to them. And they're an enemy, potential enemy to us. And so he goes down to this little city here. It's called Joppa. There's a port there. It's actually called Jaffa today. It's on the southern tip of uh, Tel Aviv, modern-day Tel Aviv. My wife and I have been there. It's a port city to this very day. And so he goes down to Jaffa, or modern-day Jaffa. He gets on a ship that's heading down on the Mediterranean, and he's going to travel all the way over to what is modern-day Spain, to the city of Tarshish. Now look at that picture with me for a moment. God calls him to go here, and he goes here. Does that sound like you sometimes in your life, right? You do the exact opposite of what God wants you to do. It could not be more opposite. This was east and this is west. He's traveling on this journey. Now, he doesn't make it to Tarshish because not long after they leave the port of Joppa, there's this massive storm that happens. And of course, as we read a few moments ago, they finally determine that Jonah is the problem and they decide that we're going to get rid of Jonah. Let's throw him overboard. In fact, he offers to be thrown overboard. And as soon as he's thrown overboard, of course, the storm ceased at that moment. So I want to talk to you today about what do you do when storms come your way? The focus today is on the storms of life. And there are three things that I want to share with you that we must clearly understand that will help us to know what to do when storms come. Number one is to realize that storms of life are inevitable. 
Before we look at the specific storm that Jonah experiences in his own life, I want to ask you just to widen your spiritual lens with me just for a bit. Let's get a little bigger perspective here for a moment. Because although we learn in Jonah's situation there's a very specific set of circumstances that led to the storm, the reality is storms are part of all of our lives. They're inevitable parts of life. You cannot get away from them. Everyone will experience them. Jesus himself made it very, very clear that we all experience experience storms in life. We find this in Matthew chapter 5, verses 44 and 45. But I tell you, notice Jesus' words here, I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Please notice this part. He, God the Father, causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Jesus says when the sun comes out, it warms up everybody. Good people, bad people. And when the rain falls, it falls on everybody, good people and bad people. This brings us to a question that is often asked by individuals in terms of trying to understand God and relationship with God. They'll often ask the question, why do bad things happen to good people? Well, it's not really a complex answer. The reason that bad things happen to good people is because bad things also happen to bad people. So bad things happen to bad people, and bad things happen to good people at times. Why? Because we live in a world that is broken. In fact, this goes all the way back to the third chapter of the very first book of the Bible, and we see the brokenness of the world when Adam and Eve sinned against God. Here's God speaking to Adam, and he says to Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Here we see very clearly that since the fall of man, life has included hard times. Since the fall of man, life has included very tough moments, broken environments. We live in a sinful and broken world. That's why bad things happen to good people. We live in a world that is falling apart, that is broken, that is filled with pathology, we might say. Now, we also see very clearly that Paul the Apostle lays this out for us as well in Romans chapter 8. Look at what he says to us, even as Christian believers. Yet what we suffer, the storms we go through, what we suffer now is nothing to be compared to the glory he will give us later. For all creation is waiting patiently and hopefully for that future day when God will resurrect his children. For on that day, that is when Christ comes back again, when this is all concluded, when the world as we know it comes to an end, for on that day, thorns and thistles, sin, death, and decay, the things that overcame the world against its will at God's command, will all disappear, and the world around us will share in the glorious freedom from sin, which God's children enjoy. For we know that even the things of nature, like animals and plants, suffer in sickness and death as they await this great event, and even we as Christians, although we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory, also grown to be released from what? Pain 
and suffering. Do you ever groan to be released from pain and suffering? If you've ever gone through a hard time, you probably have groaned your way at times through those hard moments of life. Groaning, pain, and suffering. And then he says, we too wait anxiously for that day when God will give us our full rights as his children, including the new bodies he has promised, bodies that will never be sick again and that will never die. I am looking forward to that day. How about you? But we live in a broken world. And so we're going to face storms. Even good people go through them. Storms of life are in Inevitable. Everybody faces them. I'm going to share with you this morning a very profound statement. Maybe one of the wisest statements that I have ever made in my entire life. Are you ready to receive this wonderful, amazing, profound wisdom this morning? Get your pen ready to write it down. Are you ready? Life is hard. <laughs> there it is, okay. Life is hard. Just living our life, it's hard because we're living in a broken, cursed world. Even good people face tough times. Look at what the psalmist said before we move to the second point. The good man does not escape all troubles. He has them too. Did you hear that? The good man does not escape all troubles. He has them too. Now, don't stop reading there because here's the promise. But the Lord helps him in each and every one. Anyone want to say hallelujah right there, okay? We all have them. We have them too. But it's different for us as, as in relationship with God. The Lord is there to help you through each and every one of the troubles that you, you experience in life. We're going to see this in the story very clearly of Jonah. Vital for us to remember. So first lesson, storms are inevitable. Second lesson, some storms of life are avoidable. As surely as storms are inevitable, there are certain storms that you go through in life that are avoidable. Sometimes we create our own storms. Have you ever created a storm for yourself? The devil didn't even have to help you. You just made it yourself. You did it. You just created the storm. Things that you did in life, choices that you made, you found yourself in the middle of a storm. This is exactly what's going on with Jonah. This was not a regular storm. It was a storm that was created because Jonah created the storm. It was his problem that created the storm. And so this great storm that Jonah finds himself in was something that should have been and could have been avoided because it was the result of his own disobedience. And not only did it threaten his life, but it threatened the life of everyone around him. So everybody's on the boat now. They're potentially suffering with this, this potential drowning or calamity because there's one guy on the boat that's made a really bad decision with his life. And he's, he's made this storm in his life for everybody. One of the odd things about this story, and I don't want to take much time about it, but it's quite interesting to note here. It's interesting to me that when the storm came up on the boat, all the sailors were on the, on the deck of the boat trying to figure out what the problem was. And the Bible says that Jonah went down into the hull of the ship and he goes to sleep. Can you imagine that? How can you sleep in a time like that? And I've scratched my head and tried to figure out, why was he sleeping? I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us, but I have an idea. At least I would submit an idea to you today. Perhaps he was sleeping because he was trying to drown out the voice of his own guilt. And drown out the voice of his own shame. Has the voice of your own guilt and shame been so loud that 
in your life at times that all you wanted to do was just find a pillow and put it over your head and a cover just to slip over the top of you somehow to slide away into oblivion and just hope the whole problem goes away. I'm wondering if that's not what happened to Jonah because Jonah clearly knew that the problem was the result of his own disobedience. The storm was avoidable. The storm was about Jonah. The storm was about the fact that Jonah was running away from God. It was a storm. I'll say it again. Let me reiterate it. The storm was a storm that should have and could have been avoided. But here's the good news. Even though it was a storm that could have been and should have been avoided, God didn't give up on Jonah. Aren't you glad? Okay. Even though it was something that he created as his own set of circumstances and problems, God said, I know, Jonah, right where you are, and I promise you I didn't send the storm to destroy you. I sent the storm to get you back on the right track. Jonah, God loved Jonah too much to let him find his way all the way to Tarshish. He said, you know what? You're on the wrong boat, buddy. I'm going to send another boat for you and pick you up and take you where you need to be. And that other boat was shaped like a big fish. I'm going to send another mode of transportation to get you where you need to be. I'm going to get you back on the right track. The psalmist David understood this. Listen to what he said. The steps of a good man. Let's stop for a moment. Jonah was a good man. He wasn't a bad man. He was a good man. He was a prophet of God. And Jonah is just a picture of every one of us. Lest you would sit there to say, that terrible Jonah, why didn't he do the right thing in the first place? Well, guess what? You're just like him, as, as, as am I. In fact, we could all change our names to Jonah. Because we've all acted like him and lived like him at times. And the Bible says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delights in his way. Though he fall, though he creates his own mess, though he creates his own storm, though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down for the Lord upholds him with his hand. All through this stormy moment when Jonah had made this mistake in his life and he's now overboard, he's overboard in the water, but God still has him by his hand, okay? If you are in a place today where you feel as though you created your own storm, can I just remind you that God hasn't left you? Can I remind you that in the midst of the storm, even a storm that you created in your own life, please remember this, God has not deserted you. He's there to uphold you with his hand. Jesus taught this clearly. He gave us this parable in the gospel of Matthew. You perhaps know it well. Let me read it for you today. What do you think, Jesus said? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them does what? Did Jonah wander away? Oh, you better believe he did. He was supposed to go east and he heads west. I call that wandering away. What do you think if a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away? Here's the deal. Here's the shepherd. Will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? So God says, Jonah, you think that you're running from me. In fact, that's what it tells us Jonah was trying to do. He was trying to run from the Lord. But God says, you you can't run from me. I'm going to chase you down. I know right where you are. and I'm going to bring you back where you need to be. 
If you're a wandering sheep today, I certainly don't want to encourage you to do anything to purposely wander. But if you've wandered away from God, I will promise you he hasn't deserted you. He's still there with you. And he's working to bring, him, bring you back to him because he loves you and he cares deeply for you. He still has a plan for your life. Amen? 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 Amen. Amen. Are you hearing the word of God this morning? This is for somebody here today. That God hasn't deserted you. You say, well, I've just made this mess. I've created this storm in my life. And sometimes the storm isn't always even outwardly. Sometimes the storm's in here. The storm of guilt and shame and all this stuff that goes on inside of us that nobody else knows about. But it's, it's just stormy on the inside of us. And God says, even though you created the storm yourself, I haven't deserted you. I haven't left you. Let me give you another story from the New Testament. Everybody here today most likely knows of the Apostle Peter, right? You remember Apostle Peter? Well, on the night that Jesus was betrayed by Judas and he's facing the, the interrogation by the Sanhedrin, he's going to be beaten by the Roman soldiers, and the next day he's going to be crucified. Jesus is at the house of Caiaphas, the high priest, and, and all this interrogation and beating is going on. And Peter was there, as were a few other of the disciples. And the Bible says that Peter was a little distance from where Jesus was and was warming himself by a fire. And a little girl comes up and says, oh, don't, don't I know you? Aren't you one of his disciples? Aren't you one of his followers? And Peter says, no, I don't know him. And again, she said, well, I'm sure that I've seen you with him before. You you are one of his disciples. No, I don't know him. And ask a third time, and the Bible says he curses. He uses profanity and denies that he has any relationship with Jesus at all. Can you imagine that? Would you agree with me that's a failure? Would you agree with me? Is that about the same thing that Jonah did? He runs the opposite direction instead of saying yes. He says, no, I don't know him. And the Bible says that at that moment a rooster crowed. Jesus had predicted that. He said, Peter, before the rooster crows in the morning, you'll deny me three times. And Peter says, ah, no, I'll never deny you. But certainly he did. He denied him. And the Bible says at that moment, the eyes of Peter and the eyes of Jesus met. And he got up and he ran out of that place weeping bitterly. And I believe for the next, perhaps certainly days, perhaps weeks, Peter struggled to try to get back on the right track again because he felt like a huge failure. He felt like he disappointed God disappointed in his, his relationship with Jesus at one of the most critical times when Jesus needed him. And so by the time we get to the Gospel of John, chapter 21, Peter is struggling with this so severely that he says to the other disciples, I'm just going to go fishing. Now, that was a very profound statement because what did Jesus call him away from? From fishing. Because Jesus in Matthew chapter 4, when he first meets Peter, Peter is mending his nets by the seashore. And Jesus walks by and says, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And the Bible says that he immediately left his nets, left his boat, left his fishing business and followed Jesus. But now here he is struggling with his failure. And he says, I'm going to go back to what I was before. Here's the deal. Here's an important thing to remember when you lose vision for your future. You always return to your past. 
he lost his vision for his future and so he fell back to his past and he goes out and he becomes a fisherman again that night he has a few of the other disciples with him because he's an influencer and so they came with him as well so we'll go fishing with you too and they fish all night long and they don't catch anything sounds like what happens to me when I go fishing okay I caught nothing. It's early in the morning, and someone is standing on the seashore and yells out to the boat, to the, to the disciples in the boat, put your nets on the other side of the boat. And Peter said, there's, there's something familiar about that voice. I've heard that voice before. I've heard those instructions before. And so he does what that voice told him to do and of course they gather in this massive load of fish and Peter realizes that's the Lord he jumps out of the boat swims to the seashore and there has this massive wonderful encounter with Jesus here's what I want you to see when Peter was at his lowest so low that he said I'm going back and I'm just going to become an old fisherman again because I've messed it up too, too much now Jesus shows up where Peter is at the moment when Peter needed him the most. And there's a conversation that happens on the seashore that day. Are you following me, church? There's a conversation that happened on the seashore that day where, Peter, where Jesus asked Peter three times, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? How many times have Peter said, I don't know you, I don't know you, I don't know you, I don't know you. Jesus said, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Look at what happens here in this story. A third time, he, Jesus, asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then do what? This is important because what had Peter just been doing? He'd just been fishing. Jesus didn't say, go out and fish. He says, now feed my sheep. Change your perspective. Get back to the place where you were before. You haven't lost your purpose. I'm redeeming it, and I am restoring it. I will tell you today that if you've gone through and are going through a storm that is of your own making, hold on because help is on the way in your life. Amen? So, yeah. So, two things. Storms happen to everybody. The sun shines on the good and evil. The rain falls on the good and evil. We live in a broken world. We're going to all go through storms. Life is hard. Some storms are avoidable. And I would do everything I could today to encourage you. If you can avoid a storm... Avoid it, okay? But to realize if you've created your own storm, there's still help for you in the midst of it. And that leads to the third point for today, and that's this. All storms of life are educational. There are lessons to learn in every storm of life, lessons for us to learn. You learn lessons through the inevitable storms of life, and you certainly should learn lessons through storms you could have avoided. We all learn lessons through storms if we're willing to be a student. You have to be a student of the storm. 
I have to learn something from this storm. I want to come out of this storm better educated. So if you're going through a storm today, either just one that's a life storm or one that you've created yourself, the question now is how can I gain some wisdom from this? How can I be educated by my storm? Let me give you nine things very quickly. These are not going to take very long to cover, but you need to see these nine points of learning, nine points of wisdom that you and I should gain through any storm we face in life. Number one, we must learn to run to God in our storm. That's the first thing that you do. As soon as a storm shows up in your life, whether it's a storm that's just life storms or you made the storm, the first thing you do is run to God. If you've ever been on the water in a time when a storm breaks out on the water, the thing that the captain is looking for is a place to go to safe harbor. They're trying to find a place where the wind is broken and they're able to be safe from the storm coming their way. They're running to a safe refuge. The same is true for you and me, that when a storm arises in your life, don't run away from God. Run to God. He is your safe harbor. He is the refuge of your life. So you run to him. That's wisdom that we gain. And then number two, we change our ways. What do I, I learn from this storm that changes me? Even as I go through the inevitable storms of life, God can use those storms to shape me and mold me and make me more like Jesus and help me to see things in my life that perhaps I've never seen before. And so those storms help me to learn something about me and places where I need to change. Certainly the avoidable storms that I've fallen prey to in my life, it teaches me where I need to repent, where I need to change. And so I run to God. I say, God, I want to change some ways in my life. Thirdly, trust in God when the storm is going on. Hold on to the fact that God, in fact, is there with you. He's never left you and he will not leave you. He will not desert you in the storm. Here's another important thing, a point of wisdom. What do you do when storms come up? Reorder your priorities. There's something about a storm that makes you find out what's really important and what's not. On this boat, remember what happened when the storm first broke out and all the sailors were on the, on the deck of the ship and they started throwing cargo over the, overboard? Why? Because we've got to lighten the load here. There's certain things that we don't need to keep on this journey. And I've learned in my life and continue to learn in my life that when storms come my way, it helps me to reorder my priorities. There are certain things I just want to throw off my boat. I don't need that anymore. I don't need this. I reorder my priorities. There are things that you and I become aware of that are important, things that aren't important in the storms of life. And so that's part of what we do. We reorder, we think about priorities. And then we need to strengthen our roots. Throw your roots down into God's Word. See, storms will make you stronger if your roots go deeper. And whatever storm you're facing, let those roots of faith go down as deep as possible to say, God, I'm trusting you. I'm believing your promises. I don't see how it's going to happen now. I'm not sure how this is going to work out in all the detail, but I know, God, that my confidence is in you. And so you strengthen your roots of faith. And then... Rest in God's love and rest in God's grace. As I look across this room this morning, I'm certainly, certain it would be true if I was seeing all the faces in Frederick today and even those that perhaps are watching online, but certainly in this room this morning, I can see faces of people that I know. Some of you I've known for many years now and I've seen you walk through stuff in your life. And some of you have gone through some hellacious storms in your life but you're still here today because of God's grace at work in your life, okay? 
that storm that you thought, that storm that you were sure was going to destroy you did not destroy you because the grace of God got you through it. Some of you have lost businesses. Some of you dealt with marital difficulties. Some of you have had situations in your health. Others have faced all kinds of storms. As I look across this room today, you've gone through all, all kinds of difficulties are represented in this room. But guess what? You're still here today. You're still breathing. You're still praising God. You're still loving God. In fact, you're loving Him more than you've ever loved Him before. Why? Because I promise you, when you didn't have, listen, when you didn't have the strength to make it through, when you didn't have the strength to swim in the midst of your storm, God said, I'm there to help you. My love and my grace will carry you through. And then in the midst of a storm, develop patience and perseverance. I'm sure that is something you don't need in my life. Maybe this point's just for me, but patience and perseverance. You know what you have to do sometimes with a storm? You got to wait it out. You just wait till the storm's over with. So I'm just going to sit here until the storm's gone. And the storms will pass over a period of time. And so it helps you to develop your patience, your perseverance, just to hold on until that storm passes. And I will promise you today, if you're going through a storm in your life right now, hold on. It will pass at some, your, your life will not be this way forever, okay? It will pass. And then also expect miracles in a storm. It's so funny to me at times. Oh, pastor, pray that I can experience miracles in my life. And I always say, okay, I guess I'll start praying for problems then. (laughs) Because you can't have a miracle without a problem. Okay, That's what a miracle is. A miracle is solving a problem that you can't solve. And so... A storm is a pretty big problem, right? And so we can anticipate or expect miracles. One of my favorite old-time gospel singers, you may know this name and you, you may not know this name. If you don't know the name, I would encourage you perhaps to, to do a little search of his music because he has some great lyrics, some great songs. A, a gentleman by the name of Andre Crouch. Does anybody remember Andre Crouch? And he had a song that said, through it all, through it all. And one of the lines in that song, he says, if I never had a problem, I wouldn't know God could solve them. And that little phrase has always stuck out with me. If I didn't have a problem, I'd never know that God could solve them. So do you have a problem in your life today? Know that the problem solver is with you in your journey. And that problem is an opportunity for God to do a miracle in your life. And then also, what do we do when the storm comes? We look forward to heaven. I'm looking forward to heaven, aren't you? Because when we get to heaven, there are no storms there. No storms at all. How do you you anticipate heaven? How do you know you're going to heaven? Can I talk to you just for a moment? Would you please listen to me? In a world that is very pluralistic, and there are people that are always trying to tell, well, you can get to heaven this way or that way, and there are all kinds of ways to get to God. I want to tell you the truth today. The truth of the Bible is found in the words of Jesus himself. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man gets to God the Father except by me. Would you agree that's pretty clear, right? He didn't say, I am a way. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So if you want to get to God, there is only one way. There's only one road that leads you to God. And it's through Jesus. 
And Jesus backed that up by not only dying on the cross for our sins and suffering for the sins that we deserve to suffer for and accepting judgment for us, but he proved that he was who he said he was by rising from the grave. Nobody else has ever done that. You can study all the world religions. There is no world, there's no religious leader in all of history that can claim a, a founder that rose from the grave except Jesus. Jesus is a living Savior. He's not a dead Savior. He's not still on the cross. He is victorious. He has risen from the grave. And we understand that the disciples themselves were so sure of this, they saw him and testified and gave us a record of having seen Jesus. And in fact, they were willing to give their lives as martyrs for the truth that Jesus was alive. So Jesus is the real deal. He is who he said he is. And so if you want to know how to get to God, there is only one way to God, and that is by turning to Jesus as your Savior, realizing that you can't be good enough for salvation. Jesus did all the work for you. All he asks of you is to believe in him, as is very clear in John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever will believe in him will not perish, but shall have everlasting life. I am looking forward to heaven. How about you? And I know where I'm going. I want you to know the same in your life. Now let's look at some final scriptures here. So we're getting to a conclusion. Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 and 25. Therefore everyone, Jesus says, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man. So we're talking about gaining wisdom through your storms. It's like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down. The streams rose. So the rain, here's the storms, the streams, the winds blew. So all this represents storms. So here's this wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down. The streams rose. The winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall. Why? Because it had its foundation on the rock. And the rock, as we just described, is none other than Jesus. James 1, 2 through 4. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles come your way, not if, but when troubles come your way, consider an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. So when troubles, when storms come your way, when they show up at your house. Consider, think about it this way. Think about it as an opportunity for what? Complaining, groaning, griping, but for great what? Joy. Why? Because something's happening. Your faith is being tested and made stronger, and you're becoming a person of perseverance and endurance, and that will make you perfect and complete, needing Nothing. It is perfecting your life. Take a look with me. Second Corinthians chapter four, verse eighteen. So we do not look at the troubles we can see now; rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now, our troubles, that is, will soon be gone. But the things we cannot see, our faith in God, the presence of God, the Word of God, the things that we see we cannot see, will last forever. Will last forever. 
Now, a few minutes ago, and I'm just about done here, but a few minutes ago, I don't want to conclude the service without giving this one little final point. We, we left Jonah in the water. Okay? Right? So Jonah said, pick me up and throw me overboard. And that's what they did. They picked him up and they threw him overboard and the sea became calm. And that's where we left everything. But of course, the story continues. I don't want to leave you hanging today. I want to give you the next part of this story because this is extremely important for next week. Here it is. Okay. Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. I love this statement. The Lord had arranged. Here is Jonah, and he's in trouble because of his own mistakes and his own failure. And he's thrown overboard. And the very next verse tells us that God had not forsaken him or forgotten him. He had arranged for a fish to pick him up. How did that happen? Well, in the deep blue waters of the Mediterranean Sea, some big old fish got GPS coordinates from God. Okay? <laughs> God sent longitude and latitude into the brain. Now, I'm, not, I'm not making this up. How did that fish know to get where he needed to go? But God, by His Spirit, sent longitude, latitude, GPS coordinates to the brain of this big old fish and that fish swam right to that point at the exact time because you can't just sit around in the water forever. If you're going to get a ride on a fish, you need it pretty quickly, okay? And so the fish comes in and swallows him in the moment where he's protected and secured for three days until he gets back where he needs to be. Let me tell you something. If you're in a storm today of your own making, if you're in a storm today because it's just a part of life, if you're in a storm today, keep your eyes open because a fish is coming your way, okay? A fish is coming your way, okay? Because God arranged that for Jonah. God arranges it for you. Just don't fight the fish when he shows up, okay? Let the fish give you the boat ride back to where you need to be. Would you bow your heads together with me as we pray? Father, we love you. Thank you for the beautiful story of Jonah. Lord, all of us are very much Jonah's. We're just like him. So many, many times you told us to go one way and we went the other way. And Lord, we ended up making a big mess of things. But Lord, thank you that in the midst of it, you don't leave us, that you come after us, God. And I pray in the wonderful name of Jesus for anyone is going through a storm today, that you would just help them to find that point of wisdom, that education that you have for them in the midst of it. They might mine out of their storm the lessons that you want them to learn. Seal this word in our heart, we pray in Jesus' name. I would like to close today by giving you an opportunity to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Would you pray with me right now? Right where you are, just simply bow your head with me, and I'm going to give you a prayer to pray, and you can simply speak this prayer out, whisper this prayer out, and from the sincerity of your heart, call upon God, and I promise you that He will hear and answer you. So let's pray together. Start by simply whispering the name Jesus. Let there come uh, from your heart just the declaration of His name. Say, Jesus, I know that, that I am a sinner, that I have fallen short with you. I'm sorry for all of my sins. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are God's Son. I believe that you are the Savior of the world. 
I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the grave, that you are alive today. Now pray these words. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a new start in you. I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says that when we call upon God's name, we call upon the Son of God, there is salvation that comes to our lives. He changes us from the inside out, and you become a new creation. All things pass away. All things become new. And that's exactly what has happened to you today. Your next step really is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church. And you begin to study God's Word, get God's Word in you, and to make sure that you get a copy of the Bible if you don't have one and begin to read it. Spend some time every day in prayer. And I would encourage you also to check out the resources on our website that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. You can find them at church-redeemer.org. Get those into your hands. Get started in your new life with Jesus Christ. Thanks again for joining us today. May God bless you, and we look forward to seeing you next time.